Hey gang, this is Fillmore, just letting you know that if you enjoy our podcast, quite frankly, a Howard Stern podcast, and you'd like to donate some money for the upkeep, uh, or you want to request certain clips, please donate to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash jimfix. That's J-I-M-F-I-X-X. You can donate as much as you want for as long as you want. There's absolutely no obligation. Ralph had one of everything, and then I would put on my underpants... And then, and then I would sashay out. And then, yes, and then I'd parade around. And then in order to feel more comfortable, we pretended I was at a gay club, walking around in just my underpants and to see oh if my. everyone at the gay club enjoyed me. And, um, and when we voted on my underpants look, and that was really gay. You know, I was very gay. It, it sounds gay because yeah. it was just the two of you. Yeah. And then even Ralph said, you know, you don't need to keep... Um, parading around. Why don't you just try them on and whatever ones you like, we can order. Right. He's, he doesn't need to see you. Yeah. And I go, <laughs> what's the matter? You don't want to see me? <laughs> Joe, hi. You're on the air. Hey, man. Yeah. What's going on? Man, nothing. Listen, I think uh, it's time you come out of the closet with Ralph. Oh, please. Because I know, you, I know deep down, I mean that literally. All right, so I'm a homosexual. You're a, you're a sword swallower. Right. I'm a homosexual. You're right. Right. What can I tell you? I'm caught. Good. In fact, that's good. That would be easy. I'd love to be gay. Be so goddamn simple. And then, then, then when people ask me about why I'm separated from Ivory, just go, you know what? I'm gay. Twenty <laughs> percent of American men had at some time in their lives at least one homosexual experience. Now you told me every man did. Yeah, well, every man has, but only 20% will admit to it. <laughs> it's a pretty embarrassing thing. Every guy has at least had a uh, sword fight. Now, wait a minute. Would you say that just because you had no. and you want to believe that every man does? I never had a sword fight. Not but... a sword fight, but you had a homosexual experience. Yeah, well, yeah, if you want to call it that. I mean, some, <laughs> when I was a little, I was a young child, of course. <laughs> Just label every man. Every man has had some kind of homosexual experience. Oh, I, gotta, I watch every movie. I gotta tell you, I had the same thing for a while. Like when I first started therapy, you kept asking me about like gay feel, like you know, gay this, gay that. I go, oh, yeah? dude, let's cut that shit right now. <laughs> I said I got no problem with gay people, dude. I, I don't. Have, I'm not gay. Because yeah, but you know, you have to explore that side. And I go, bullshit. I'm not exploring that. I got no problem. Yeah, what do you mean explore? <laughs> <laughs> I like chicks, dude. <laughs> hey guys, this is a little PSA about the Jackie interview before you get into it, and we hope you'll enjoy it, of course. Um, anybody complaining about us uh, cutting him off, they are unfounded because I will tell you exactly that as lovely as Jackie was and as cordial and as uh, congenial and generous as he was, um, he would go on forever with certain stories if you didn't cut him off. And we had a finite amount of time, and it was a lot of editing involved in putting this together. Uh, I think, he, and he didn't get upset by that. He just accepted it as part of doing, you know, techno, technological interviews through Skype or Zoom and what have you. So, parts uh, just part of the dinner. If I get the permission from him, I'm going to throw some of the inserts he sent us, screen caps of notes he's collected over the years. And uh, if not, I think even still you're going to enjoy what we have to offer and what answers he's given to our questions. So enjoy. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of QF, a podcast about Howard Stern. I'm Fillmore, a.k.a. Jim Fix, a.k.a. Fillmore Fingers. And with me, of course, is Sam. Hi, guys. 
And we have a special guest for all you listeners. We've got Mr. Jackie Martling, the joke man himself, in uh, with us today. Thank you for joining us, sir. I I have no idea how you were able to get me since I have something else to do in a couple months. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to thank Sam for pulling this one together through her connections, and uh, you know it's uh, it's uh, we've got loads of questions. We're really interested in the minutia, and uh, we anything as Anything that sounds like a straight question or an odd question, it's all par for the course here. So, Sam, would you like to get started? Yeah. Well, first off, Fingers, I... what, what, what accent am I hearing? Fingers. Uh, well, I'll give you three guesses. Wait, talk a little more. All right. Uh, okay. The rain in Spain falls mainly on the plane. It's kind of, kind of a, is it, am I here in Philadelphia? I can't, I can't figure it out. <laughs> uh, further north, much further. Oh, Canada. Yeah, you got it. Southern Ontario. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. okay. Okay. But okay. Fillmore is also Greek. Give him a give him a little Greek Fillmore. Tithelis na supo. Tithelis na supo. Ah, I can feel my sphincter opening. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get a chance to use it on this podcast, obviously. And uh, uh, Sam's part Italian, part German, so she's just like uh, she's you just like. You don't get to uh, use your sphincter on the podcast. <laughs> not, not, not just yet. Uh, Sam, would you like to lead us off? So I am obsessed with the fact you were a writer on the show and you were a part-time writer from 83 to 86. And then you became a full-time writer. Now, I've heard you talk in many interviews about how your interview style went, but I want to know what the difference was, if any, from when you were writing part-time in 83 and then when you became a head writer in 86. I, I was not, I wasn't really a writer. Uh, when I went on, they first called me up to come in and sit in on the show. And at the end of the show, uh, Howard said to me, man, you're a lot of fun. Why don't you come back next week? So I came back uh, once a week for three years. And we started, he wanted a piece of business, so we started playing Stump the Comedian and me and Fred would put together some jokes uh, for him to call in with because the listeners couldn't come up with a decent joke. Anything they came up with was either way right. too foul I... or way too racist. But and that and I wrote some stuff for Howard's helicopter uh, reporter. But I wasn't a writer per se. There weren't really writers on the show. But as time went on over the course of three years, slowly but surely, I was giving him like a line here and a line there, and it was. Uh, there was, there was never any kind of description as, as a writer. And then he got fired, then he got rehired, and I went over to K-Rock one day a week. And then in February, they called up or whatever. At some point in 1986, yeah. uh, Howard called me up and said, listen, we're going to go to mornings next week, and I want you to come in uh, twice a week and do your thing with the notes. Because at that point, I had been on a more of a regular basis, passing him notes. When he got fired and went to K-Rock, they actually had a place for me where I could sit and write, and I was within striking distance of putting a note in front of him physically. Mm -hmm. And so, I, you know, it was serious. And then I was there two days a week, and I went from two to three to four to five days a week within a couple of months because, truth be told, he was funnier when I was there because, you know, not because well, he's not he's funny but anybody with help is funnier and not only was i there but with me in that close proximity fred was able to hand me ideas too so we became you know if 
not only three senses of humor, but three distinctly different senses of humor. So you never knew whether he's going to say something deep or some punchline or some ridiculous thing from Pluto. And uh, well, it just got great. That's all. Sam? So, J- Jackie, I've heard... Um... I've heard you talk about this. And so I've often said when I talk about you, I say it's a very actual, um, no one else could possibly do the symbiotic nature between the throw of your joke to him and the reading of your joke on air in record time, the way that happened. I think that's like a once in a lifetime thing. You know, My question I, is it, from it, when, uh, let me tell you before it's, it's a tough call because it, it I, really it's never been it's never been done again. Well, I it mean, had never been done, and, and it was kind of an absurd thing, but it wasn't like, hey, I got an idea, let's try this. What it was is like if you were sitting with Fillmore and I'm sitting with you, and the three of us are at lunch and we're having a conversation and we're all saying funny things, but all of a sudden it's not my place to talk. So instead of saying something what I'm saying what I'm thinking, I write it down and Fillmore gets to say what he thinks is funny. And what I think is funny, and it worked out. And and the fact that Howard's so quick and so brilliant, and could absorb what's in front of him, not only that quick, but sometimes he'd work his way around and come back to it. Sometimes I'd write something about Robin, and he'd make it about Fred, or I'd write something about Gary, and he'd switch it and make it about me. I mean, we were such a well-oiled machine. It was just, uh, it was just really spectacular. It was really fun, you know. Well, you're, you're talking to super fans, so we know that. So what? I want to know is during this period, you said it wasn't just me throwing things at him. What was the, what were the writing or creative meetings like that lent? What was that like? Was there sitting in a room and everyone's discussing what you guys were going to talk about? How well, did that if, go? If you're talking about in the early, it, like as time went on, we made, we did less and less bits. Because we put them together and they'd be so much work. And then how would we never play them? Because mm-hmm. he wouldn't shut up. You know, we'd be like, hey, play the bit. You know, play the bit. He wouldn't shut the fuck up. So, but in the beginning, um, it was funny. I was just telling somebody this the other day. Because I, if you guys are big fans, you, you, would, not believe, you would not believe the treasure trove I have. And uh, maybe you know some rich guy that wants some. What we do is... We would sit in the office after after the show mm-hmm. at a desk, and me and Fred sat next to each other across from Howard, and we'd throw around ideas for like a song or a bit. And if he liked an idea, he'd say, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, let's do that." And then me and Fred would start tossing ideas, mm-hmm. and when, as we tossed them, he would write down what he liked, mm-hmm. and we'd say something else. And he and it, it was funny because he'd say, "Don't edit." You know, he said to me, don't ever edit. I will edit. And mm-hmm. it wound up being, so, there was some funny things on that happened on the show where he almost had a heart attack from what I wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, because I said, hey, you told me not to edit. And uh, we were, so we'd sit there and he'd write down what we wrote until we thought we had a bit. And then we'd go in the back room and record it. And yeah. all those old bits, like from... David Denkins and Rudy Giuliani and Al Sharpton and Teddy Kennedy, all those bits we did in 87, 88, 89. I have the scripts to all of those bits. Wow. And they're all in Howard's handwriting. Wow. Because he wrote them. 
Wow. I never wanted and now it's to. Handwriting. And wow. I have, you know, six loose leaves full of these old bits. And I, you know, I want to sell them to somebody before I die. So somebody told me they should be in a library or something. I said, yeah, but he's, you know, he does, I'm sure he doesn't want to even know they exist. Well, well but that's they do. just, and, uh, just a quick question. Those bits just... were so funny. They were so mm -hmm. much fun, you know. Just a quick question in, in the interim there. Between the time, from a, between 83 and 86, when he went to K-Rock, when he was at WNBC and then switched, he did a series of live shows. Um, in, at the, we have one, we, we got a copy of one at the Ritz on 2-13-86. So in February, I guess that's the month, or January perhaps, um, where he was getting paid, but still, he had two years left of his contract, but he was still doing live gigs. Were you involved in that on any level? Uh, the gigs at the Ritz, yeah. You know, uh, they were free for alls. If, yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't remember the exact <laughs> time. Uh, I, I know it at some of the gigs, I know at Club Benet and maybe the Ritz, like me, Howard, and Fred and Gary did a male strip show. You know, there's actually a picture, there's a picture in one of his books because I went, went, went to the front of the stage and bent over and turn, turned around, and bent over, and spread my cheeks. There's a big picture of my ass in, in one yeah. of his books, you know. Yeah. Um, Who, whose not, idea not was that? the one that? with the finger, what, the strip, the, doing yeah. the strip show. You know, we're just being outrageous. We didn't know what mm -hmm. else to do. You mm -hmm. know, he wasn't a stand-up, and I, you know, I wasn't going to go out there and, and, you know, do anything. It's just like, whatever, whatever happened. That's when we met Ralph. Ralph was a gas station attendant. And he showed up one night and said, hey, I got this great thing. And he had like a six-foot penis that he had made. <laughs> And, okay. and that's how he became how friends with Howard. I know that doesn't sound believable, but no, you it's true. Know that already. Yeah, you yep. know that already. Yep, Sam. Yep. But we those do are, know I think that. those rich things. The rich things I think were between from when he got fired from NBC and got hired at K Rock. I think that's right. I'm, that's right. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Sam. But yeah, Sam? I was. I was always. You know, I was there. I I was a part time guy, but I was I was all involved. You know. I, I enjoyed right. the whole thing, you know. So those live those live events between from when he got fired from NBC and K Rock, we actually had a fan of ours who had tapes of the Ritz shows, which are they were on cassette, mm -hmm. and he found them in a pawn shop or antique shop. And are he you talking about the audio cassette or video cassette? Uh, in, in audio. It's, yeah, audio cassette. And they're they're insane i mean mm -hmm. he was talking about having a miscarriage on stage and allison was in the audience pregnant and that it was just you know i don't think he knew what he was doing for the live shows regardless though you said he met ralph during that time and he invented the penis and stuff now yeah, how I did ralph I, when I did Ralph know. become a stylist, Not, knowing know. that he was a parking attendant? Like, how did that happen? No, he wasn't a parking. I think he was at literally pumping gas. You know what? I don't know. Right. I was never so, privy to that. I was never privy to I mean, Ralph kind of absorbed himself into the furniture. He kind of started working at Channel 9, I guess, picking out Howard's clothes. You mm -hmm. know, like, because, mm -hmm. you know, he, he said, yeah, you should dress more hip. Let me pick out your shirts. You know, mm -hmm. like if I said to you, hey, can I pick out your shirt, Sam? And you say, yeah. And all of a sudden, I'm your stylist. I mean, right. nothing against Ralph. I mean, me and Ralph hung out a lot. We got stoned after every Channel 9 show, you know. Mm -hmm. But uh, but how the, the segue of of the whole thing. You know, it's funny because Howard used to 
give Gary a hard time and me a hard time because we still were friends with the people that we knew before we started getting uh, well-known on the show. I'm like, well, these are my friends. They're still my friends. And then meanwhile, his best friend winds up being a, you know, a a groupie that showed up (laughs) from the gas station. (laughs) If if it wasn't for hypocrisy, there would have been no show, you know, but but who gives a shit? You know, I don't care. Hang out with whoever you want, you know. Sure. Um, I've got a question about the uh, Fox pilots. Um, you, you'd been interviewed about them and you, you got, you, you, at some point you and Fred were in the beginning of the first pilot, the test pilots for Fox, uh, you know, not many, not many people bring this up, uh, because they never aired. They, as, as far as most people know, they don't exist. That's correct. They must probably exist on the internet now. I know I got all five of them, but Mm -hmm. they never saw the light of day. All they Mm -hmm. were was, uh was test shows that that's I right. guess Rupert Murdoch or whoever it was said, no, that's never going on my air, mm-hmm. you know? And it's funny because Joe Piscopo is in the documentary about me. And yeah. I went in and sat there on his radio show with him. And, and he said, Jackie, I remember that channel. Uh, I remember the channel five show. And I say, wow. He said, Leslie West was the band leader and Steve Rossi from Martin and Rossi. Yep. From Alan Rossi was the band leader. And um, and Joe said, yeah. And I literally. Like, you know, years later, I mean, I'm sitting there writing notes and passing them to Howard. But on the Channel five show, <laughs> I was un- physically under the physically, desk. Oh, yeah. uh, oh, do, oh, you already know that. I was oh, yeah. Under we, the we, desk. we we actually ran. We found the pilots. So we did a, a show. A walkthrough mm-hmm. of them, and my one of the questions I had for you is, how long did you have to be under that desk? Nah, you know, you know, I did you? You know, you know, it was, it was funny, but I would kind of sneak under there, mm-hmm. you know, kind of get so the so the whole like it was some kind of secret, you know. The whole thing with me writing, it's so funny because it. You know, Howard always said, no, he never hid the fact. And it was it was just nobody's business. And to this day, there's people that have no idea I ever wrote a note for him. And I, I am show business people. I I was sitting. Uh, at people the know. Wa- people know it's you. Trust me. Some people know. Not what you. I was sitting there with a with a guy who was a producer at NBC for years, for decades. And we're watching uh, the Subdudes, this great band. And he goes, man, I was such a fan of the Stern show. I loved hearing you laugh. And uh, I said, yeah, I'm glad you liked that. I'm glad I made you laugh. He said, well, you laugh. And I said, well, you do know I was writing a lot of the stuff he was saying. And you could have knocked him over with a feather. He said, what are you talking about? I said, I was writing in real time things for him to say. And the guy was like, kind of, you know, not that he didn't believe me, but it, you know, it, it was surprising to him. It might be surprising, but I'm going to tell you the real Stern fans know exactly when you wrote a joke. So because we can we can tell, first of all, when it's your writing. And second of all, I said it's like when you're merging, when you left and somebody else was writing for him. It was like when you're merging onto a throughway and you're like fucking merge because that's how awkward it was to transition from the joke from his talking to a joke. It, it, was, it was like having someone having their blinker on and you're just sitting there and you're like fucking go, go, 
that, go. You know, that's, You're waiting. That is kind of funny. You know, it was very gradual, <clears throat> the whole coming out bit. Um, and there's so many stories about it. I'll tell you what the greatest thing is. I, I Over the years, I got a lot of great compliments and left-handed compliments and people slowly but surely finding out what's going on. And uh, I, I remember this, there was a writer for the National Lampoon and he called me up and said, I, you know, let's go to lunch at the Priors Club. I want to meet you. That show's so great. I'm such a big fan. And we went out to the Friars Club to eat. And he said, oh, you, you're so lucky to be part of that show. I said, well, I'm helping to write it. He mm -hmm. goes, well, what are you doing? It's all spontaneous. And I had my notes from the day. And I put them on. The, I'll never forget Mark Gruber. He was a, a really talented writer for National Lampoon, like 1986. Mm -hmm. And I put my stack of notes. And he started leaping through the notes. And he said, this is every fucking funny thing he said today. I said, not everything, but, it, it, you know, I, I certainly helped. And he was shocked, but that was early on. And it, you're right. The really big Stern fans know. But the people, there's so many people that are, you know, it's like the person that tunes into the Tonight Show every once in a while. They, mm -hmm. they don't know Johnny as writers. They could care less that Johnny has. They, all they want to do is tune in and have a few laughs. So it's not something that means anything. But as far as knowing when I wrote a joke, that's very funny because everybody says the same thing. I can always tell when it was your joke because of how hard you laugh. And I've, I've had to explain this hundreds it, of it's times. It's more than that. You, Fillmore? Yeah, you, 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 well, laughed, you, you laughed at what you thought was funny. And regardless of whether you wrote it or Fred wrote it, you wrote, you laughed. Right. That's exactly. Or Howard said it by himself. I laughed. Sure. I tell people like Robin has the exact same laugh if uh, somebody stubs their toe as if she would have soupy sails through a pie. It's just that. <laughs> so here's a, here's but a couple I questions. I laugh as far as uh, along with how funny something was. So, you know, I would come home. My wife would say, you know, the greatest line you wrote today was such and such as I didn't write that. Fred wrote that. Right. She'd go, but you laugh so hard. Said, yeah, because it was so fucking funny, you know. Well, you know, I have a question regarding the issue with the with the sorry the Fox pilots. Um, were you guys disappointed? First of all, you and Fred were you disappointed that you weren't um, visible enough for one, uh, except for the very first intro episode? We were, we or, were never. We nev okay. We were never visible ever. Oh, that's right. Know. Except just to, just once, <laughs> maybe your hand when you <laughs> passed him the note during the Jackie Mason segment, but also. Um, do, how was no, Howard? I'm talking about for all time, you know. Oh, sure, like sure. When we moved to the brand new, what was the brand new studio in '94? He's like, Oh, it's gonna be great, we're gonna be in a semicircle and we're all gonna be there. Next thing you know, me and Fred were behind a wall, right? You know? it, it, but but we, we were so used to that, you know, but, it's, it's but, it came with the territory, okay? But fair enough. But what about the um, the, the reaction after the Fox decided we're not going with this? What was Howard's? I mean, I we heard on the air what he felt, but was that really? Was he glad they didn't show because he wasn't pleased I, with them? I, or? I don't know. I have no idea what went on, what didn't go on. It was like, you know, and everything came to us, you know, it seeped through. He was not the kind of guy to call up and said, hey, guess what? They didn't take the pilot. Ah, oh, it sucks, everybody. You know, mm -hmm. we, were, it, we, weren't, it... we weren't in on it. We were part of the team. Right. It was like, pay no attention to the scoreboard. It doesn't matter if we won the World Series or not. Just, you know, just play your position and shut up. But, you know, you know, either you take the gig or you don't, you know, mm -hmm. I'll tell you, me and Fred, we loved doing that show because me and Fred, uh, did the warm up, and mm -hmm. we would go out for 15 or 20 minutes before the show started. And people mm -hmm. used to come up and say, you know, you guys warming the audience up is the best thing that happens 
during well, that, the show, you know. Okay, I mean, that so was that's never my... on air. That was never part of anything, you know. Right. Well, right. I wish that were on air because uh, Fillmore and I often say the best thing about the show was Grandpa Al Lewis. I mean, seriously. So we, I know how you're a, you can sense comic talent and you, you and Fred both have that ability. During the Fox pilot, you can obviously tell a lot like the roasts, he's showboating, it's overdoing it, it's it's not, uh, what was the prep work like? And was there any ability to say, listen, you got to calm down? No, no, you know, just, we just give them whatever. Yeah. Like, you know, you really should, you know, not overdo this. Or, no, nobody, you know, I mean, Fred had been with him for years. Fred was with him a year before Robin. And I don't mm -hmm. think Fred ever said, don't do this. Don't do that ever. Right. You know, because he's, he's, he's not going to, you know, you know, it's it's no good to have advice if somebody's not going to listen to it. You know, you you're gonna and and who knows? It was so hit and miss. The whole thing was so so ridiculous. But uh, but that that made it really really fun. You know, it was a uh, it was off the wall. And the thing is that the reason it didn't get picked up, I don't think is isn't because it wasn't funny or wasn't entertaining. It just wasn't something they were going to put on their air. You know, mm -hmm. it wasn't like, oh, if that had been a little bit funnier, you know, they right. just they, they didn't realize what, you know. But my question was going to be, what was Howard's reaction? Because I, he clearly wanted to get on Carson. He wanted to be, I mean, you both, you, everybody wants the show to be bigger I, I, and bigger. But, but, but you're assuming, you know, I, I have no idea what was going through his head. Fred Norris has been with him since 1979. Yes, that's true. And I would venture big money that mm -hmm. they have never had a conversation. Wow. And you know, it's funny. I was talking to this guy today who's done, uh, done a bunch of stuff and he, he actually did a movie with Burt Reynolds and he was working with Burt Reynolds just when Burt Reynolds installed his dinner theater. Yep. And I said, do you have any idea that Burt Reynolds is really connected to the Stern show in the weirdest way? Mm-hmm. And he said, what are you talking about? I said, you know what? I didn't even remember this story until me and John and Fred got interviewed for Penthouse's 20th anniversary issue. Mm -hmm. So they interviewed the three of us. And Fred told this. I didn't tell. Fred told this story when they interviewed him. And I read it. And I was like, holy Christ, Fred. Why would you remind me of that? What happened was we were sitting there on the air. And <laughs> Robin goes, oh, look at this, Howard. Burt Reynolds just opened up his own dinner theater. And Fred goes, yeah, in Jupiter. <laughs> and, and only Fred knows these fucking things that nobody would know. Yeah. And it was Jup Jupiter, Florida. He goes, Florida, yeah, yeah, Jupiter. Yeah. And, and, and me and Howard look at each other. And, and Howard like looks at him and looks at me. And I said, well, the reason Fred knows that is because he himself is from Mars. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and that locked that in place for the next 20 years. He was the Martian. He was the alien. He was the man sure. from Mars. We all dress up as Roman gladiators and he was dressed as an alien. I mean, that was something, you know, and I thought he always was mad at me for that. And meanwhile, he's telling penthouse, you know, but it was well, such a great, 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 great line. You know, Sam? it is a great line. So Fred, um, like you said, you th you don't think they ever had a personal conversation, I, you know, which I, but no, I, I know, I know what you mean. 
But I, I agree with you in that sense, because he recently came out this year and he said, I was going through a separation and you didn't even know about it. And Howard was like, thank you for not telling me about it because I wouldn't have cared. And that was how the conversation went. He said, you're welcome. Oh, and this is Fred, Fred that was going through the separation. Yeah. Yes. He said he said recently that he was going through a separation with Allison. He moved out of the house and they were living separately. Fred oh. said in this recent, I think it was like two years ago, that he went through a separation with Allison because they were bringing up old memories. And he said, you didn't know this, but I went through a separation with my wife, but I didn't want to bother you with it. And he said, well, oh, thank oh, you. But the, the separation was way back in like uh, early Correct. 90s. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And I so but, uh, I, t I totally can see him not having an intimate conversation, but you guys socialized a lot. It seemed in mm -hmm. the uh, early nineties and mid nineties, like around stuttering John's wedding. And I was well, wondering not, if you could tell not me like in, stuttering John and his wife moved here to Bayville a couple of blocks away. And mm -hmm. so we hung out with them for a while uh, in the, the couple of years before I left the show. Me and Nancy used to go out and spend the weekend with Fred and Allison out in uh, Amagansett, but I nobody knew. I would have never mm -hmm. told anybody because they'd all been like, "What's Fred like? What are they like? What?" Are, how, and meanwhile, Fred couldn't. He's perfectly normal. He's a nice guy. He's just really talented and really smart and really shy, but he's he's a wonderful human being. But I wasn't going to break his privacy. Just like when they had that fight at the Rainbow Room. Howard was mad at me for a couple of years because I wouldn't spill the beans on what happened. I was like, none of your fucking business. That's my yeah. friend. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it was a very weird thing with that show. Cause guys don't say what other guys are doing. And that show is built on backbiting. So it's kind mm -hmm. of a, it's a little odd, you know, did it bother you at, at all when it came time to renegotiations over the years and his, his negotiations were, always you know under the table but yours were always fodder for the air it always seemed a little unfair that uh jackie's renegotiations become well unfair fodder. unfair is it should have been the name of the show should have been unfair mm -hmm. you know? and i and who cares you know you just that's that's we care you know, th th this is <laughs> this is the job we have chosen i knew that you know but what what i didn't like was you know it was so packed with lies you I and mean, you can you can spread my shit all over the country. I don't care, but at least let it have a modicum of, of you know, I mean, I mean, Howard was in negotiation until just before we went on vacation, you know, yep. and then, uh, and then we we're going on. He, he came and said, Hey, listen, I finally, you know, up until, up until like December 14th, everybody thought the show was over, that it was going to end. And then <laughs> wow. all of a sudden he got a deal and he said, you can feel free to go in and cut yourself a deal now. Because I, I came to an agreement with Mel. And meanwhile, Tom Chiasano had had cancer and he's going to Paris for, for the holiday. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to. I said, Tom, we'll just deal with it when you get back. You know, try to be a decent guy, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, but nobody, everybody conveniently forgets that Howard uh, no. hanging on hanging on the edge for like months. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, Jackie won't come to terms, you know. It was, you know, well, it's, but, who cares, you know. <laughs> no, we care. The pa the picture painted that you're painting is now so widely known. We interviewed Richie Wilson, who worked for Howard TV for, you know, years. And he said he would get a stomach ache, like an 
a week up until the negotiations because he would find out, like you said, you know, a few days before. And I mean, yeah. these are people who have wives and families and it was just, you know, insanely irresponsible and not okay for them to just do that stuff. And especially since you're a head writer, but they were all a part of Buckwald, which is to me, if Fred and Robin were a part of Buckwald and they were all trying to get in the early nineties, like acting gigs and stuff on their own. But Buckwald knew Howard is like, you know, the number one radio star and his number one person to cater to one how would that work in their favor if they're trying to break off? And two, how did that work for you not being a part of that? Very early on, at, like when I first when we first went the mornings, Howard pulled me aside and he said, listen, uh, I got some great news for you. Uh, Don's going to represent you. And I said, no, he's not. He said, what do you mean? I got Don to represent you. I said, listen, you get whatever you want. Whatever's left over falls onto Robin. Whatever she doesn't want falls off onto Fred. I'm going to be the fourth bird in line waiting for a fucking worm. No way. And that came and that haunted me all the way out. I mean, Buck didn't Wald, they? But did didn't they see that on their own accord? They, like, didn't they realize that? Yeah, but you know, the, the same old thing. You know, Fred wasn't a stand-up comic, and Robin wasn't a. You know, this this was a gig, and this was a cherry gig. And that, that's what made my life so tough is because, you know, as we were getting better and he was making more and more money and we're getting more and more popular, I'm mm -hmm. like, hey, you know, share the pie. And meanwhile, in 40 years, I would venture a guess that Fred has never said the words, I want more. Mm -hmm. I don't think he would have ever said that to Buckwald or Howard. And he just would take. And, you know, I found out when I left the show, I I'm telling you, Fred worked from, you know, an hour before the show started to an hour after the show ended. And he played the commercials and did the sound effects and wrote. I mean, I, he, he literally did 10 times, if, if five times as much work as me. I would mm -hmm. walk in and sit down and take out my Sharpie. Howard start talking. I'd start writing. Howard say, we'll see you tomorrow. I'd put down my Sharpie and leave. It was mm -hmm. almost that cut and dried. And Fred worked so hard. I found out when I left, I was making almost three times as much as him, which is mm -hmm. such a fucking, and I wasn't doing all that well, but it's such a crime. I mean, this guy had been there since the beginning and Howard was rolling in it and Fred was so important to the show. I don't think anybody, anybody realizes, including Fred, what, like he is the, the building block of that show. He just says, I think Howard would jump off a cliff without Fred. But Fred does not know that. So here I am sitting there. I'm the new guy. And I'm sitting next to a guy that's never asked for more. And I'm going, hey, could I have a little more? And they're like, you know, they didn't say it. But yeah. It's, how it's, dare, so why, how why dare you be Oliver Chase? Yeah. How dare you say you be more? Why can't you be more like Fred? You know, and nothing against Fred. He's a, he's a great guy. He's a company guy, you know. What was your relationship now like? I get to ask a question. Where the fuck did you get the name Fillmore? Because I'm a huge uh, uh, live music fan and all the Fillmore's and the Winterland shows and the e Fillmore East. And I love classic rock. And uh, I so used to DJ. So it's, not, it's, so it's not Millard? No. Not Millard. Okay. No. That's actually a Buffalo thing. Millard Fillmore. Uh, I live in East Aurora and his uh, house is in my town. 
there's there's the connect there's the connective tissue what was your relationship like with buckwald even though you weren't his client and same with karmazin how did you get along with them professionally and personally uh if, if at all i had i had fun with buckwald when we hung out i had great fun with mel uh mel actually approached me about something that i'm still sorry i turned down uh, you know mel mel was just a businessman yeah. you know like when one time i walked out and uh, I went in and Mel wrote down all the numbers for five years and showed me a staggering total. And I said, wow, Mel, that's really a lot of money, but you know, it's not what I want. It's not enough. And he said, you realize when you walk out of here, you can never walk back through this store. I'm like, look, I know the, all the rules. I know all that crap. And I said, I, I love you and I appreciate you. And I left. And then Howard called me up and said, I got to have you. And I said, well, we're very far apart. And he said, how far apart? And I told him, he said, all right, I will make up the difference. Mm -hmm. And so he made up the difference. You know, every other week I got a, a check from his company. Right. Well, that, that next, whether it's the next day or the next Monday, whatever it was, I walked in and I was going to take a leak. And, and as I was going back down the hall, you know, it must've been eight or nine o'clock in the morning, but Mel came in and I heard him yell, you're my hero. I turned around and he's going, you're my hero. Cause I had said, fuck you to Don and Howard said, this is what I want or I'm walking. And I had gotten the money out of him and he was, and he, you know, he's been dealing with these guys, you know, and, and Howard, well, maybe not Howard at that point, but Buckwald and Mel, Mel didn't have to work another day in his life from 1978. Mm -hmm. He was rich. It, yeah. it was, he's playing Monopoly. But it's as important, you know, he's one of those guys, if he plays you in Scrabble, he's going to win. You know, mm -hmm. he's going to do what he has to do. So, so the whole thing, in retrospect, is really, really interesting. And mm -hmm. that, I enjoyed it, that, it now, but Buckwell was, was so, so conniving and so backbiting. And, uh, and, you know, he's a good, he's got a lot to do with me not still being there because they stuck Benji next to me to make me uncomfortable. And, and you know, it just, it, it, it's just so petty. But so I, I kind of had to go because I would have never quit drinking and I'd probably be dead and I wouldn't get to see Samantha's drugs. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so I, I actually am fascinated by the contractual aspect of this entire thing. I, um, I'm a union worker, so I'm a big believer in workers' unions and everything. And I think it's insane that you guys didn't work behind a union. And I wanted to know if you worked behind a union when you were doing any of the television shows. Yeah. Well, the union, uh, unions, that's the reason I have the title head writer. Mm -hmm. Is uh, what happened was uh, we got the Channel 9 show. And they said, all right, blah, 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 blah. And uh, they said, okay, uh, Jackie, you and Fred are going to be segment producers. I said, no, we're not segment producers. We're writers. And they said, well, you know, it's, it's, it's not a guild show, so we can't really have writers on the show or something like that. And I said, no, no. We're, we're, you know, we're working on the radio all these years or however mm -hmm. long. So nobody has any idea that I'm writing to begin with. Nobody yeah. has any idea what me and Fred are doing. So all of a sudden, here's a show where the credits are going to run. And they're going to say we, we're segment producers, which means we, we might have brought in a dog to be in one of the <laughs> events or something like that. I said, no, we're writers. And they said, no, we can't make you writers. And that's when I said, you know what? 
not only are we writers, I'm the last one to decide what's going in front of Howard because Fred writes stuff or somebody else might write something, and, but they give it to me and I have the last say what gets passed to Howard. So I'm the head writer. So was that a union? Was that a union through the network for the show? You know, I don't, I don't know the answer. All I know is either they couldn't call us writers because it was a guild show or because it wasn't a guild show. I am not sure. I just know I stood my ground. And if you look at the Channel Nine credits, it says head writer Jackie Martling, writers Fred Norris, Howard Stern, and then whoever else might have been aboard. Right, but. uh, but that's how that came about, you know, and we were, you know, I, I get my after pension, you know, we, we were in the radio union, mm-hmm. but it's weird how it works. They only, they only put a portion of your salary towards after I, you know what? I never, I never was interested enough to pay. it's my life and my money, but I really didn't care. And, and we were not a regular, well, look at what that guy's making or look what that guy's making because we were such an anomaly. Yeah. It was such an odd show. Like, right. like people say, oh, Jackie, you know, you make a lot of money, you know, uh, for being a, 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 you know, you know what radio writers make? They don't make anything. And I said, no, I'm not a radio writer. I play one on the radio. Like, right. what are you going to tell Art Carney? We're going to pay you what a plumber makes? Go mm-hmm. fuck yourself. That's Norton. He just happened to be, you know. And uh, it, it was it was very strange. You know, we, we were and people say, God, you make so much money as a writer. It's like saying to Ringo, you should be happy. You make more money than a lot of drummers. And I'm not a drummer. I'm the drummer of the fucking Beatles. You know, right. there's, a, there's a difference. Right. You know, I know that sounds like a well-worn an- analogy, but it never stops holding up, you know. Well, could you could you could you put the analogy towards like the say I know it's radio and not TV, but what about the Seinfeld cast for them? Like obviously Seinfeld's going to get the most money, but why shouldn't the rest of the cast, which really made the show what it was, get more money than they were getting? It made perfect sense. I uh, a- absolutely, absolutely. But you know, like when we first got called to do the E show, yes, it was frightening frightening what they offered us okay Mm -hmm. they offered me and john and gary like 10 grand a year each Mm -hmm. and we're walking along and i I was like wow this is kind of crazy and we're like crazy and that's when john according to john gary went in and said yeah jackie's trying to get us all riled up trying to get us to go for more money and i never tried to i never tried to organize any crap like that but, but Jackie, you should be print. organizing. You oh, should yeah, have been no. organizing. You should have been saying, this is bullshit. If no, we all no, say no. we deserve this much, who's he going to pick up? Who's you he going to pick up that's going to lead that parade? Honestly, you, you, you should have picked no, up the picket no, there's signs. No, you should have. There's no you should have. You know, it, you, you had to be, you know, it's like, it's like saying to the Holocaust victims, why didn't you say something? You know, it was a very strange situation. It was funny because... Uh, Buckwald told everybody what they were getting paid because they would, you know, Fred and Robin, they signed with Buckwald. Yes. And uh, so they just got whatever they said. Gary was just so lucky to be there. John felt so lucky to be there, mm-hmm. although he wound up being a big star from the Channel 9 show. But uh, Fran Shea from the E Channel said, listen, I'll handle Jackie. And so we went to the Friars Club for lunch. And it was like 
10 grand a year was, was on the table. Uh, 10 grand a year. And uh, we sat down and I said, this is absurd. I mean, yeah. c- come on. You know, I mean, I don't make much money and I don't even make that much money money on the, on the show. Mm-hmm. But th- this is, this is, I don't know how I was more gentle, but it was fucking insulting. <laughs> yeah. And she said, and this is, this is the actual conversation. She said, uh, let me ask you a question. Where would you like to be in five years? And I said, hmm, in five years, I'd like to be the head writer of the best radio show ever. Oh, wait a minute. I'm, I am that already. And she was like, uh, 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 and I think I wound up getting there. I, they had my light off for about a month yep. because I hadn't signed with them. So I'm sitting there in the dark or, or semi dark mm-hmm. and the cameras aren't on me. Finally I said, all right, you know, 20 grand, 25 grand, whatever it was. And it was really funny because, uh, not long after that, I went out to headline at the uh, top of the rib. And the guys used to come by, you know, guys I had worked with and met along the years because everybody's working at the, you know, at the different, at the improv or at the, what, all the different comedy clubs and the different hotels. And mm-hmm. they knew I was at the Riviera and my show wasn't until 10 o'clock and I wasn't done till midnight. And I had an immense, I had the same suite that Robert De Niro and Sharon Stone had in Casino, this monstrous two level suite. Yeah, with, with you... all the food and booze and, and they treated him like a king and all these guys came over and uh, like Max Alexander and Dennis Wolfberg and uh, not the, uh, Dennis uh, Dennis Blair and Mike Zaccone and Don McHenry and Ron Zimmerman all, all these guys I'd known forever and they're going wow that's great uh, you know the, you're really kicking ass in the show and your stand up was great and they said like, and now, now you guys are on TV you're on the E show and uh, that's that's unbelievable. And I said, yeah, 25 grand. Mm-hmm. And they all kind of, their jaws dropped. And they looked at me and they said, Jackie, we know you're doing good. But you can't tell us that you're doing so well that an extra $25,000 a week doesn't make a difference to you. Yeah. So- and I said, a week? Same. That's for a fucking year. And they all just had a heart attack. They couldn't. I said, listen, if you go stand on the corner in L.A. with a shovel and they pick you up to go dig lettuce, you make more than twenty five grand a year. And that's what you know, that's what I was getting paid. And they couldn't fucking believe it. And I said, what's really sad is I had to really fight to get the twenty five. grand. I think by the time I left, it was up to like 50. Yeah. You know, Sam. So what drives me crazy is that's almost like an Amazon worker asking for an extra buck during a pandemic in a warehouse. I mean, it's fucking lunacy to me. And I really hate how, you know, you're that talented, but the narrative is always going to be this, but it was the best. And we were this, I want you to realize that you did make that show what it is. We wouldn't be fans of the show if it weren't for you. You can say, you know, whatever you want in the same thing. You are the one of the greatest parts of that show. And I'm not kidding you. Well, so I, I thought I you was deserve more than that. And you should have gotten more than that. That's why I had the balls. I left the show, I think, three times. Mm-hmm. Well, four times, including the last time. And each time they came back at me. 
and and no, what nobody realized was what I was asking for was a pittance. You know, I, I was driving along one time and my phone rang and I answered. It was do you know who Dominic Barber was or is? Of course. Oh my god. Yeah. So, of course. So he said, Jack, uh, Jack Dominic, you gotta get back on that show, man. You gotta get back on that show. I said, listen, you know, we're separated in, in money and they just don't want to. And this is, I think the this is way, way early. And uh, he says, what's the problem? What's the problem? Maybe I could help. Maybe I could talk to Mel. You know, what's the deal? And I don't know exactly what the numbers were, but I think it was like, listen, Dominic, you know, I just hit loggerheads with, you know, I, I you know, I'm, I'm, I'm making 200 grand and I want to make 300 grand or something yeah. like that. And he's. He said he had to pull off the road. He said, do you realize that the whole world thinks you're making a million dollars or a yeah. million and a half dollars and you're holding out for $2 million and they think you're trying to wreck the show because you're so cheap and so stingy and so greedy. I'm like, no. I said, do you think that's it? He said, he said, what the fuck is wrong with Mel that he would take a chance? They, they just figured they were so strong that there was no way I would ever leave. But they would come back with the money, you know, and and the, the different negotiations. Uh, you know, there was a whole negotiations chapter in my book that I that I didn't put in there. I mean, I, you know, one day I'll put it in there. But uh, I mean, I, I put in the figures and everything, but I don't think I put the stuff that actually was a, a little embarrassing to Tom Chirsano. Mm -hmm. But they, they, it, it really was. It was a regime, you know, I don't. I really don't like doing these interviews because it always makes me sound angry or bitter or greedy. You know, to no. the average person no. that's making thirty-five or or seventy-five thousand right. dollars a year, and you tell them, "Well, I was making five hundred grand, and I should have been making seven hundred and fifty, They think you cheap fuck or you greedy bass, and they don't realize yeah. that you know you you don't. You, well, you you you're, you're part of the you're part of the woodwork. You know, I know. I, and I said, look, I'm not looking for billing and I don't want you to say Jackie's so important to the show, right. but just know that I am and know that we're all helping. You know, I would you have weren't... loved to grab Fred and said, Fred, you know, but he, Fred can't go to Buckwald and tell no. Buckwald to fight for more money because Buckwald's not going to fight with Buckwald. Yeah, it's just, you know, it's it's absurd. You know? It wasn't it wasn't like you were Suzanne Summers asking for a piece of the show. And, and, you know, like to be five, you know, even though you would, you would like some of the syndication revenue, the equivalent of like a, you mentioned before a 25th of the syndication, uh, because if you're one 25th of the show, it's a good analogy. Um, but, and, there, that, and that had nothing to do with asking for a piece of the show. That was just no. how, how I was calculating sure. the numbers. I, you, you must've heard that in another interview. Cause I don't think oh, I yeah. said that, but that was absolutely you know, I had friends. I went on the road and did gigs and I talked mm -hmm. to the other owners and the other general managers and they tell me what was up. Yeah. And uh, and, and they tell me how popular I was with the listeners and everything. They would really pull my string, but they were also very nice about it. And they were like, right. you know, you couldn't you couldn't use really other writer uh, radio writers as a template because they weren't as successful as you guys were. So it was no, it was I, apples they, and oranges. Yeah, right. There was no. There was no comparing, you know, you know, well, during was time, no comparing. Uh, just Go one ahead, second. I, I just have one question I got to ask because I, I've, I've heard the mythology over the years. The Channel 9 roast, which I think was 92 or 91, maybe when it was recorded. And you guys had Pat Cooper and Henny Youngman was on as well. It, after it came on the air later that, well, you, 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 didn't, you, didn't, you didn't like how you performed, which is, which is fair. But um, 
the, the roast as a whole. The question, the question I've got is, did you? The, it was put forth by Gary years later that he he claims that you believe it was set up so they wouldn't laugh when you got up there. But <laughs> what? No, what I, happened? I can't, what happened buy, was, I can't buy that. What happened was that uh, the audience was about ten strippers. They yeah. were morons. So if the funniest person in the world wasn't going to make them laugh, but no. I got. I got zero laughs from anybody, including the crew or anybody, which can happen to anybody. But Pat Cooper, and to this day, I don't know whether he, he was being Pat fooling around or being Pat uh, to make me feel better, whatever it was. But <laughs> Pat told me that this girl came around with a clipboard and told everybody not to laugh when I was on. And the girl with the clipboard was Karen who was like the one of the managers of the show. So it was a very viable thing and it could have happened. And if and if they did that, you know, I was I was pissed off because I thought it was really wrong. But there was mm -hmm. every chance it didn't happen too. But you know, once again it, it's it's all a little bit of theater. But it, mm -hmm. it was horrendous. You know, and what I and I said I said some pretty funny things, but pretty horrible things, you mm -hmm. know. And uh and, and and looking back, you could see why a bunch of strippers would not have left of that because it would have gone over their heads or whatever. <laughs> but that but the whole thing about Pat telling me that a girl came around with a clipboard, I did not make that up. That was yeah. something, whether it was true or not true or whatever, you know. But uh, but Pat kind of said it kind of as, as a throwaway, which made it you know seem very believable. Yeah. But, uh, that, that those things those 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 shows were crazy. That, that, those were some crazy times. The, the so, Channel Nine shows. Oh, oh. Well, the yeah, roast that roast specifically, we went over. We did a walkthrough mm -hmm. for, and um, they probably didn't laugh because they had a warm up of unfunny for an hour. I mean, it was just him running around. He wouldn't shut Nobody the fuck knew, up. He wouldn't stop. It was like. Who is this? Calm Howard? down, Howard. Yes. Oh he yeah, just he would because he didn't want any, he didn't want anybody to get started. Yeah, I, it, I it was brutal. Really it that well, you know, like yeah. we all had a lot going on. You know, we were the writers, and we had to worry about the segment before and after, blah blah blah. But you so, know, who gave a fuck? You know. Um, obviously, go, go, go ahead, Sam. I've, I've got another question that's going to be uh, yeah, because it's the kind of thing you can't say to Howard. No. You know how you are. Don't be like that. <laughs> you, can't, you, can't really, you can't really say that. You know. <laughs> Stop acting so much like you, you big fucking monkey. You know. <laughs> well, it was just it just dovetailed with almost all of his TV appearances where he'd just do radio shtick to fill time and you didn't realize you don't need to do that when you're on a talk show, just have a conversation. And, um, I, I mean, it's, I guess it's neither here nor there. If people are fans, they love them regardless. But, uh, I was a comedy fan first before I was a Howard fan. And I, I knew all those classic Carson appearances by Rickles and Winters and, uh, Jackie Mason and, uh, Steve Martin. It was all just very organic. And it, sometimes it made it seem like he was way too, it, it seemed like Howard would try to force things too much instead I, you of, you know, but I, I didn't, I wasn't part of that. Like he never yeah. asked me to help him write any of those. Sure. So I, never, I never watched. I didn't, you know, I, we, I was su surprisingly good, unplugged, good you know? job. <laughs> I, I never listened to the show before I was on it. I never listened to the show after I was on it. Yeah. I never listened to the best of the only times I, 
this is you, if you guys really know this it's interesting that you that you know stuff there uh i listened once in a while in the very very beginning when i first went in and i was on the show and i had never heard of this guy and i wasn't a radio guy i was a I was a hippie that rode around in my car listening to the Eagles and Chicago too and listened to my own stand up, you know, I, you know, maybe 10, 10 to see if the world had blown up. But, uh, I didn't know from radio, mm-hmm. even when I was on BAB, they were playing nine, two, two, one. They were playing my jokes on BAB every morning at eight o'clock. But I, I don't think I even had it on my, on my dial, you know? And, I've uh, listened to your whole history. I know everything about you, so keep going. <laughs> we're, we're a little, we're a little creepy that way. That's all right. So, um, when I went in there, you know, I'm antsy. So I'm sitting there, and they say, "Come back next week." And I'm there, and he used to do this "Mama Look a Boob Day," which was a black helicopter reporter. So I wrote down some some black type, you know, lines. And when I came in, like the second or third week or whatever, I said, hey, I got some lines here for Mama Look at Booba Day. And, uh, and he kind of looked at me like, not mean, but just like, I don't need help, you know, but he took them. And then like, I'm listening to the show and all of a sudden I hear, <laughs> I hear the lines that I had given him and I'm like, aha. And then like the next time I came in, I said, I got some lines and he goes, Thank you. You know, it was, it was very funny. It was innocent. But then I started, I started listening once in a while to see if he was going to use them. Yeah. And it's so funny because I know exactly, you know, where were you when JFK got shot? You guys weren't born yet, but I remember I was on a, a short step ladder in my kitchen <laughs> of the house we were renting. And the reason I know is because I was fixing something. And in 35, 40, 50 years, I've fixed two things. And I was fixing something. I don't mind <laughs> changing a light bulb or something. <laughs> but I'm, I'm up there doing something. And Gary comes in and he goes, hey, how did the girl here says she wants to take all her clothes off? And he's like, oh, bring her in. And the girl came in and Howard said, you know, this is long before I knew anything about the show, but I kind of had the vibe that what happens on the air really happens. Like they don't, it's not theater of the mind. It really does right. happen. I, the only difference is that, you know, he says uh, this girl sitting here is a nine and she's really a one and a half. That's, oh yeah, but, for sure. But there's still, there's still a girl there. She might have yeah. 14 tits, but there's a girl. There. And yeah. uh, so Gary brings a girl in and, and Howard says, who are you? And she says, my name is Maria. I worked the door at the Comedy Factory outlet in Philadelphia, and my favorite comedian is Jackie Martling. Wow. And I almost fell off the fucking stool because is I I had wanted to bang her forever, but you know I, I never <laughs> hardly had time to even pay any attention. And she yeah. was trying to be a comic, and just like all comedy clubs, you work the door, or you work as you know and. You you saddle yourself in, and eventually they give you some stage time. You know that's what Brian Regan did in in the yep. comic strip in Fort Lauderdale. So totally. uh, so that was a man. But I've never ever heard that tape, and I don't know if it exists. And I would imagine they might have erased that five seconds in. I I mean I'm we imagine- do we we have fan we have um fans who have the entire catalog of his show. So if that does exist, we will ask for that for you. So I mean, um, what, what are we the can odds? get we can what get are that. the odds of her saying that? I don't even know. Honestly, I, we will have it for you if this person who has recorded literally 
every show since 82. Wow, that's you know the uh what's <laughs> funny is I don't even know she probably had to know but, but I don't think I had been there that long. She might not have had any idea that I was part of that show yet, but who'll know. And what was really funny is there was a guy that from the beginning hated us when we when we went on in Philadelphia and he wrote bad crap about us and it was a world war and he wound up marrying Maria, the girl that got naked on the show, which you can't, you can't make that Stu Wyckowski, and she married him. And I can never think of her last name because there's Maria Melito that works at, at another radio station, and that's the only name that comes into my head. But she was cute, you know, like Richard Jenner yeah. used to fool around with it. You know, it was a whole thing. But she really did come in. And I guess she had on a fur coat and took it off, and you know, it was pretty funny. You know, I, I got, Stu. I got to do that scene in private parts, which was really. A nice payback, you know. <laughs> um, just uh, just going to take a, a one alternate direction for a bit. When Robin released her book in 95, which we reviewed extensively, um, but uh, a lot of you guys felt that it was bullshit. And I want to hear, I want you to hear this clip. So just bear with me for a second. It's a short clip of Bowie talking about it, okay? This is 2008, probably one of the wrap-up shows when he's at Sirius. Oh, this is and, long after I'm gone. Yeah, oh, I sure. No but, but, uh, but I want you to hear what Gary has to say about you regarding the book. These urges to do, you know, stuff like that back when she was going through a lot of these problems. You know, it's funny because I, I read the book and I heard all that. These are things I didn't know. And Jackie used to get all irritated by it. He used to go, he thought Jackie thought that Robin made stuff up for the book, and you know what he used to call her book? What? Quivers a lie. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know, was, I love that line. And, <laughs> it was and but but that itself is a lie. I do not remember ever saying that. You know, okay. I, I mean, I might have said she made up stuff in the book, but to tell right. the truth, I'm I'm pretty sure I I don't know if I read it. You know, well, I I know I used to read. You did out loud. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, you read parts of it. That was, uh, you know, that was that was the funniest organically grown bit there ever was. You know, we right. were trapped in so, a limousine on our way to a screening. We we're trapped in New York City traffic, and Robin had just given everybody a copy of her new book, and we're sitting right. there so bored. I, so and I looked is... in my bag and pulled out the book and just started reading from it at random, and it was so funny. So can I can I ask you sorry sorry Sam because I, this is one little thing I'll get right out of the way. Could you please do us all a favor and if I send you a little uh, excerpt, could you please re read it in the in the Robin voice? It's just a little paragraph just for our fans. It wasn't just you. Everyone when they read that book, I remember the day after, and it was Fred, you, Howard. You were all shocked by the book. You were all like, "What? The city was a being of little help." They refused to even consider Leia's case so long as Heidi and I were her. We were, I haven't done this in 40 years. We were instructed that we would have to abandon her before she could get into the social services system. Everything in her life could probably have landed her right back at home. Abandoning her to the city would justifiably be viewed by her as rejection. It was a genuine catch-22. I found myself screaming at the people who were supposed to be helping me when I could get them on the phone. But the help we needed just wasn't there. I was so 
so pompous and so funny. Oh God, it's so so ridiculous. You know? Bravo, bravo. And, I, and who knows? You know, it could have all been. You know, it could have been true. It could have not been true. To quote my old friend Richard Belzer, uh, modern physical science has yet to come up with a unit of of measurement that would express how little I give a fuck about her or her book. Oh my God. <laughs> well, okay. I, lo- I loved okay, though. Go ahead, Sam. You, you, you guys, she came in the next day. She had to do a book signing and it was the funniest shit ever. She was late. <laughs> and all she got was a little bit of shit about being late. And you guys said, well, what time did you leave for the airport? And she goes, mm, half hour before my flight. <laughs> What did you do? <laughs> and then she goes, and then she was late and she missed her flight getting back. And she said, well, they didn't tell me to pack. <laughs> and then she goes, nobody told me to pack. And then uh, I didn't know. And they didn't bed and moan. And you and Howard and Fred, it was, it might've been my favorite, one of my most favorite segments ever. And she got so mad. She got so so mad. She walked out. She goes, that's it. I'm I'm leaving. So great. You know, you know, I I remember one time I said, uh, you know, I, I wrote all the Sternaks. It took me a couple of years to talk Howard into doing Karnak into doing Sternak. Yeah. And finally, and he, I said, look, I will take the heat. I'll write the jokes. I'll write the insults. I will take the heat. And and which also meant get the credit. And there was some of the funniest shit. And and people used to die. And uh, one time we did Sternak and she leads the charge. She leads the laughs. And if she doesn't laugh. It doesn't work. Right. You know, he, she laughs after everything he says. <laughs> we know that people, now. <laughs> people say, what the fuck is she doing? I say, it's like saying to, to Costello, what's Abbott there for? Without Costello, there's no Abbott. So she was there and she sandbagged Sternak and she laughed at nothing. And she knew she was fucking <laughs> with me. And, and, you know, and it just got worse and worse and worse. And I said, Howard, get ready with the button because I'm going to curse. <laughs> Get ready with the button. Are you ready? Robin, you fucking cunt. I that on the radio. It's the only time I think I ever got bleeped. You know? And then we went to commercial and she came running in the room like it was a big joke. I said, nah, I'm pissed off. Get out of here, you fucking cunt. <laughs> two, two minutes later, we're friends again. You know, it's, it's, you know we're right. in a fo- it's a foxhole. That's right. right. We're in a foxhole. You know, um, she, but she's got an extreme like personality where she didn't talk to you for months and yes. she admitted it on air. One day she said, well, I haven't talked to him off air for months. And you were like, are we talking again? And nobody <laughs> knew you were like, well, she was completely she was, she, she, you out. She and was told, there was no she was told game. leave him. She was told leave him alone. And she did. Yeah. <laughs> I just, you know, I just, I, once again, I, I could have gave a fuck, you know. Yeah. I said, you're not talking to me. Who do I thank? You know. What I mean? <laughs> Perfect. Um, just um, about about two, three years later, her parents actually came in studio. Were you there for that? I have not heard the audio, even though I have that year. For some reason, I, it's missing. I think so, but I don't, I don't, 
God, remember? I, wish I, I don't really. I, and I should. That's definitely something I would remember. Yeah. But I can't say for sure I wasn't there. Because um, mm -hmm. I don't recall you taking many, like, many sick days or anything. No, no. We didn't all go out to London. I'm just wondering if it happened after I had already left the show. Would that you be know. a common thing, like near the news, or like back at the near the end of the show, like very last few minutes or something, and they just popped in for a five minute thing? That that literally never happened until you know when we were making private parts. Yeah. Uh, sometimes what's a face would come in. Howard's uh, uh, Judith movie Judith wife. Regan. Oh, um, Allison. Uh, yeah, sorry, it, <laughs> Mary McCormick. Mary Mary McCormick would come in, and then Beth would come in once in a while and sit there. But aside from that, nobody. I maybe Judith Regan came in, but I don't really, I don't really remember that. But uh, so Sam, you said Beth would come in and sit there. There's obviously a lot of change in the show once Beth became involved with Howard, and also Dominic Barbara. I don't know if you know this. Went on a podcast, and he said that and Angie Everhart and Robin Givens were fake girlfriends. That Robin Givens was one of his clients, needed some uh, star power, uh, dating Howard's. They yeah. were both Buckwald clients. Yeah. So the mad tear that supposedly happened with these only uh, two look, alleged. Uh, so I, 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 I don't give a yeah. fuck. You know, I don't Good. care. I don't care. So. Okay. You so mean, was he fucking him? Was he not fucking him? Were they really? No, no, no. We case? don't. We know he wasn't. We know he wasn't. That's fine. What I'm asking is for Beth, when she came involved with the show, were what were things like with the dynamic with you guys? Like the show well, there and was no, no interaction. She came in and sat over on the side and looked at him back and forth. There was no interaction. You know, maybe hello, you know. Uh, hello. Me, and, me and Nancy actually, I think went on a date with them. We might have gone on two dates with them. Mm -hmm. But uh you know, she was nice enough, but, you know, eh, I, you know. I, Richie There's Wilson no, dropped an interesting uh, anecdote when an interview we had with him, he said that, uh, Chevy Chase went to their wedding and he said he, he, uh, dropped a nuke in the middle of their wedding. He basically gave the most uproarious, inappropriate, awful toast in their wedding and left. <laughs> I don't well, know if I you know that, you know. I don't know that it here. I had been a, a writer for 18 years and depending on who you ask, I had something to do with him getting as huge as he got and as rich as sure. he died. You know, you can't break your arm, patting yourself on the back, but I had something to do with it. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, he invited people to his wedding that he had met a month before <laughs> and, and I wasn't invited to the wedding. And it was like, uh, I was off the show, but, but you know, Sometimes, you know, guards come down and then, uh, you know, we had our own show on, on serious. That's uh, right. Eight yeah. years, eight years. Mm -hmm. And a week before Thanksgiving, they unceremoniously just fired us, just dropped the show without any reason, any, any forethought, just said, Hey, uh, this is your last week. And then Sirius threw a 60th birthday party for Howard. Mm -hmm. Like not only we were we on Sirius. But we're on a Howard Stern channel. Yeah. We were one of the shows on his channel. And I wasn't invited to his 60th birthday party. And every, I must have had 30 people say, Jackie, can I be your plus one to go to Howard's birthday party? And when I told them I wasn't invited, they wouldn't believe me. 
Mm-hmm. They said, look, you don't have to lie to me. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm not invited. And I mm-hmm. totally get it because if he's having his 60th birthday party surrounded by every celebrity in Manhattan. And if one person came up and said, hey, Howard, it's really nice to see Jackie again. That would have wrecked his night. And mm-hmm. I know that sounds ridiculous, but I'm telling you, that's, you know, I mean, how, um, how could he not have me there? How the fuck? How do you do that? You know, you got me talking shit, but I, as long as I get a chance to tell the truth. Yeah, no. we're, we're, you know, sometimes we're not, you get on the air and talk to people and I can almost feel their eyes rolling like I'm making stuff up. And like, you know, you know we we're really Jackie, crazy. no, we're, we're not going to lie to you. Our mandate for our show is basically doing an autopsy on the current show, basically on a weekly basis. But um, that doesn't mean we can't do an interview and just ask people about themselves. And they and if whatever they want to say, it's it's totally up to them. It's your story to tell. And, and I don't think that's uh, anything bad. But um, you met but most, with Robin. Most people really aren't interesting. It's interesting. It's, it's fun that you're interested. You know, I mean, I when I first start, when we started mornings and uh, we would sit there at Howard's desk before we went on the air and we'd be farting around. And just like any group of guys, like maybe Howard tells a story and then Gary tells a story and then Fred tells a story. And every time, every time my story, my story did not only trumped them, but it was like in another league for how crazy and wild and funny it was because I lived a completely different life than those guys. Sure. And they, I'd be, I'd start telling them a story and I would see that their eyes were rolling, looking at each other like, Oh, is he so full of shit? And about four months later, six, at some point, it all of a sudden dawned on them like, holy shit, he's not making this stuff. And right. this is real. And that's when Howard started saying, uh, go ahead, tell this story on the air or tell that story. And then I tell a story on the air and they'd, you know, and then they tell me how bad the story was. And then everybody say how great it was. <coughs> but uh, it was really funny because. They used to get, they used to make fun of me. I thought this was so great because they'd start talking about television or something. And Gary and Howard and Fred and they all knew every episode of the Brady Bunch and the Partridge family and all those, you know, those sitcoms from the seventies. And I couldn't even told you any of the characters and they would try and make me feel like I, you know, what was I like? I was raised uh, like like a wolf because I didn't know these TV shows. And I'm like, mm-hmm. while you assholes were home watching television with mommy and daddy, I was out drinking and smoking pot and fucking girls at college. I was older than <laughs> them. I was out living my life. And you're watching the fucking Brady Bunch. Oh, you don't know the episode where Charlie was the milkman? I'm like, no, I was, you know, I was finger fucking somebody. You asshole. You know? <laughs> Jackie, you know what's so funny is meanwhile, you say you were the odd man out for not knowing that. I'm the odd man out for my age during this podcast because I know all old TV shows. And everyone's like, how the fuck do you know that? There's no reason. It's weird There's how no- it comes around. Mm-hmm. Weird how it comes around. Jackie, could you please, I know you told it on Kumia's show probably six years ago, but I would love if you could tell the story about the little Cameron, uh, sorry, Canon camera that you got from the show. <laughs> it was uh, <laughs> without the bag. You know what? I don't know. I don't, you know, I remember this story, but I don't remember exactly how the reveal happened. But what happened was we, we got such horrible crap 
for Christmas. So I've only got nothing. I, I can show you that up until a couple of years ago, I would get a Christmas card every year. And it was obviously a Christmas card from somebody who had been taught how to sign Howard's name, which is, which is so Laura. funny. And, and, and yeah. And hold on. I, I think I got it right oh my god go fuck yourself are you fucking kidding me i'm gonna laugh my ass out for you <laughs> laura lackner signed christmas card i'll be one okay all three i'm looking oh okay. i just i just kept them because they were funny and he he makes his he makes his h in a certain way yes and they think by having the h right you know and uh it, it's so it's so, so the FBI wouldn't pass it? <laughs> impersonally personal. But I read this and I fell down. Jackie, hope that today is the beginning of a great day ahead. <laughs> Wishing you a wonderful year. I was like, you know, you can at least fucking proofread it. You know? <laughs> think, think of you on your special day. Think of you. This is literally two different years. Think of you on your special day. Hope it's a great year ahead. Sending good thoughts. Think of you on your special day. Hope it's a great year ahead. Sending lots of good thoughts. I mean, you know, it's just, <laughs> it's just, I mean, counselor? why fucking, why bother? Other people are like, well, well, at least he sent it to you, you know, like Jesus Christ, you know. Oh, it's a bare minimum bullshit. It's, it's bare minimum bullshit always. Well, you know, um, I, I, w I was very good friends with Les Paul, the guitar player. Yeah, and, uh -huh. uh, we, he just loved my filthy jokes. So we got along. So I met him when he was 85 Dang. and we we hung out till he died at 94. But he had really he'd been a pretty miserable prick for most of his life. <laughs> and no, no relationship with his kids or anything. But here I met this 85 year old man that loved my dirty jokes and we got along great. <clears throat> but he had this guy, Lou Paula, who recently passed away, one of the greatest guys in the world. And he was like the rhythm player for Les's band. And he was like, uh, he was like 78 when I met Les, you know, and Les was like 80, 85, 86. And Les would say, how old are you, Lou? And he'd say 78. And, and Les would say, oh, and you're still playing, you know, which was funny. And, uh, and one day I was hanging out with Lou and it came up with how, how unbelievable cheap, unbelievable cheap. Less was, and I guess he. They said that he had a real lot of his. He had millions, and they said they had so much cash in his house because he came up in the depression, and they didn't yeah. trust banks. And he was a real oddball, but an absolute fucking genius beyond geniuses. And I said, "Listen, don't talk to me about cheap. You know, I, I spent all those years at Howard. He's really cheap." And Lou said, "Lou said, you want you want to have a contest?" And I said, "Sure." He goes. 28 years I'm playing rhythm guitar with less. Not a Christmas card. Wow. I said, okay, you, you win. I mean, forget about a birthday party or, or, or a party or a car or a five dollar bill. Not a not a Christmas card. I'm like, holy wow. shit. Okay, you win. You know, that, that comes with the territory. Who knows? You know, but it's what happened was what happened was we never got okay. anything. And then one right. year. We got an actual gift. And I got home. I remember where I was. I, I was in my apartment. And I opened it up. And there's this Canon camera. Yeah. And I didn't know shit for, from, you know, uh, the internet. Or, or, you know, I knew a little bit. But I didn't know anything as far as hooking up cameras. But I was like, this is a nice camera. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's amazing. And um, 
and then I'm looking around and you know you when you buy you know if you buy a TV you, and you get a remote they give you the batteries with the you know they take yeah. care yeah, of yeah. yeah so I open this thing up and I'm looking around I'm like wow this is a really nice camera but there's no case and that's really odd and I don't know it was the next day <laughs> or a year later or something I was talking to somebody and I said you know Howard finally loosened up and and you know we actually got a a pretty decent digital camera last Christmas. I don't know what they cost, but it was an actual decent camera. You know, it's kind of funny though. Uh, it, 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 it said that it should have a case with it, but there was no case in it in the package. And the guy said, what are you talking about? The, a case comes with every camera. Unless, you know, maybe you got one of those <laughs> promotional cameras that they send out. When they send out the promotional cameras, they don't put cases in them. And I'm like, that motherfucker. Somebody <laughs> must have sent him a case of Canon cameras and he passed them out. What are the odds of us ever fucking finding that out? I thought I left for an hour. Oh, a chicken, no doubt. So speaking of it, you told that story, Fillmore said you told it on Anthony's show, and I love Opie and Anthony. I love Kumia. Um, and I want to know, since you guys were coming up during the same time period, Opie and Anthony were, you know, coming up after you guys, mid-90s, they started to get real popular around 95, 96, 97, and then they even developed a bigger fan base. And my feeling, because I was a fan of both, was Howard didn't want to compete with them. He wanted to shut them up. He wanted to silence them. They blew a radio surprise that they were supposed to have a band on. Opie and Anthony found out. And then they also reported on uh, his daughter overdosing at the Jingle Ball. So, like, I knew that they didn't get along. And I wanted to know what was that? Whose daughter OD'd where? I don't know that. Oh, Oh, they, uh, Emily. Reported on, uh, no, it was Deborah. Deborah at the Jingle Ball. Oh, Deborah, Deborah, yeah. And, uh. Well, yeah, no, no, that's from... fine. No, but that's fine. But I wanted to know what was that tension like in real life with Howard? How much was he, how much I, were they a thorn in their side? Because you were there for those years. I was there, but, you know, I didn't care. And uh, it's so funny because when I, when I came on uh, NBC, I was on in the morning. Yep. And, right. you know, when you're at the top of the hill, it's everybody else's jobs to throw rocks at you. You know, it's Mm -hmm. king of the mountain. You're on the top of the mountain. You know, you're the British soldiers. We're going to hide in the woods with our guns and shoot you as you go marching by. And that's how we're going to take over, you know. So, Mm -hmm. you know, Howard would uh, break balls and and talk about shit about Imus. And Imus pulled management, went in to see management and said, listen, I don't want that new guy talking about me. I don't want his, I don't want my name being mentioned on his show. Mm Mm-hmm. And they told Howard, listen, you can't talk about Don Imus on your show. And Howard was, I wasn't there, I was only there one day a week, but I know he was enraged. Like, how fucking unfair is that? You know, how can you do that to me? Well, then and he then did the sudden, same thing tw- to Obi and Anthony. Later, 20 years later, that's where I was going with this. You fucked my punchline. But the, <laughs> the, the truth is, all of a sudden it was like he told Mel, I don't want those guys talking about me. Because mm-hmm. now he's king of the mountain, and you know, mm-hmm. and they and they could just take shots at him, but mm-hmm. even you know that. But that's the that's the game. That is yeah. the game. You know. So, uh, I I I thought that was really ridiculous and unfair. I didn't know those guys. I didn't really pay attention to that whole thing. You know, because well, we, now, Anthony, we, we didn't have them Anthony, on the air. You know. 
Anthony, you know, did a contest with to be you. He did the best oh, Jackie Martling. He was laying on my shoulder. He was laying on my shoulder when he did it. Yeah, it was great. That was fun. Yeah, he he was very. He's a very good impressionist, and I love Compound Media and everything that he's built. And I thought that that show was great. And I really, that was the first time I think as a fan where I was like, "Wow, this person's very hypocritical." Because Mm -hmm. I remember them, you know, railing against, and all the time I was like, "There's no way Jackie doesn't see this." As oh, anything but of, of course, you know, I knew that, but I, you know, I didn't care because I wasn't, they worked so hard to make me feel like I didn't have a stake in it, that yeah. I wasn't part of it. You know, mm-hmm. no, That's you know, you're, you're, you're a work for hire. You know, you don't know, you don't know anything. You know, I mean, you, you don't know the whole story. The whole story of private parts is, is unbelievable. Oh yes, I, and I didn't actually put that in my book, but I don't know if you're aware of that whole thing where they would do—they were making the movie without me. I was yes. not going to yeah, exist. Yeah, we know. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's it, it crazy. I'm sitting there in a foxhole with those guys every day, and they're making a movie. And I—I I think Fred might not have been a part of it either, because you know it was going to be the Howard Stern show without any help. You know, yeah. and then they had to redo it, so they cleverly came up with a way of doing his life story where you never saw me pass him a note. I came in at the very end of the thing, like when they had already gotten to Pluto and they hadn't even left the rocket ship. They haven't even gotten on the rocket ship for Pluto yet. Right. You know, so we know how in the film world, a lot of, we know that it becomes science fiction by the time the editors are done with it. And by the time, uh, you know, uh, writers keep rewriting stuff. But I had a question about, um, about maybe eight years ago. I will tell you, it was a great movie. And I, people say, what's your most fun times? Some of my most fun times in show business were the days making that movie, you know, sitting naked next to Jenna Jameson for three days in a row and laughing, you know, it was just, it was, it was really, it was really a trip, (laughs) really a trip. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No worries. Um, about maybe eight years ago, maybe seven years ago. I finally heard Canada. You just said a boot. I, we don't. I give him shit about Suri all the time, and I give her <laughs> crap about Elementary. Um, uh, so, the you went met with. Um, I guess you went to dinner with Robin. Uh, she was in her, in the seventies. She was into Est, which became Landmark for him. And then she met with you for some dinner or lunch. And then she felt she had to apologize or make amends. I know you're friends with Robin, so I, I'm. It's not about busting balls, but <clears throat> did it did it seem a little odd? No, you know I. People were saying, no, she's going around and she's uh, making friends with, uh, you know, making up for old things that happened. I, and I, I didn't know because I didn't listen to the show and I wasn't right. privy to it. But right. she called up and said, let's go out to dinner. or I think it was dinner. Mm-hmm. And I said, OK. And we went out to dinner. And it wasn't until the end that she said, well, would you be interested in this, you know, landmark? And I already knew of it. My, my partner, Ian. Uh, his good friend is involved in it. And, you know, that I, that shit's not for me. You know, hold your breath and don't go to the bathroom. And so we went out to dinner. <laughs> and meanwhile, meanwhile, I bought us dinner. I said, listen, I don't need you going on the air and saying that cheap fuck Jackie. I had to buy him dinner. So yeah. so not, so I didn't get any landmark and I paid for dinner. And But we had fun. We always laughed together. We always had a great time, you know. Yeah. You know, what was it like during the time where he ran for governor? 
which I obviously know it was more of a publicity ploy, but I mean, a lot of people believed in it just in the same demagoguery fashion of somebody who's popular. I mean, a lot of people, he won the libertarian vote, which I don't Mm -hmm. know if you realize is an incredible feat. I mean, there's not much people who can get on a ballot, let alone, you know, actually be a popular person in a party. And I wanted to know what it was like to be on that tour. It was a bit. It was like just a bit that got played. Yeah, but you do understand that that's like a bit where he got on a on a major political. Yeah, yeah, but you know, we but we also had a movie and he had a book and we had a TV show (laughs) and we had another TV show. You know, everything was happening so fast and furious. What are we doing today? Oh, Howard's running for governor. Oh, all right. You know, it was it was like, you know. And it was the greatest thing was when they told me you had to tell everybody how much money you had. And boy, I you've seen people do U-turns, but never like he did that U-turn. Like, well, <laughs> well, know, he, exit, well, he, exit stage yeah. left, you know? Yeah, well, well, he complete. Well, he bullshitted because he didn't have to re- reveal what he earned. He just had to say that he earned more than twenty two hundred and fifty thousand, which clearly he was making that before at NBC. Uh, you know what? These, these are the I don't I don't know. I, yeah. I don't really give a fuck. Maybe that no, was it's his, fair. Exit. All I know is I wrote the platforms, his two platforms for being governor. Do you remember what those were? <laughs> the, the, it was the, uh, you, well, don't wanna, you, know, go- you want the death penalty and the potholes. No, no, no. I went, I went to uh, two gigs in Connecticut and I would come home from a gig in Connecticut and with these mercury vapor lights and the place was lit up like a Christmas tree and they were working on the roads late at night. And I okay, spent yeah. so much time in traffic on the Grand Central in the summer. I'm like, what? You know, Howard, tell him to put up the lights at night and work at night so we can get home at a, you know, in a human amount of time. So one of his platforms was to have lights so they can do the construction work at night. And the other platform was we were going to fill the potholes with the homeless, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which was, which was, you just know, so horrible. Yeah. You know, this is very humanitarian. Oh, yeah. I honestly think that that run, that run of governor and people really believed in that. I mean, people bought pins. We have fans of ours who still have the governor pins, Howard stood for governor and believed in that. It's because it was populist messaging of everyday policies that affected people's lives. So when he was running for governor of a state, these policies that he was suggesting are actually things that people really did give a shit about and wanted fixed. Like, they well, really like, did. Just like QAnon, there are people stupid enough to believe that he was serious <laughs> about filling the potholes with the homeless. You know? Okay. Yeah, not well, only are we going to have tra- traffic and and have lights at night, we're going to take care of all the potholes. And you got to pull somebody aside and say, listen, you stupid cocksucker, that's a joke. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, oh how do he, we, how he do we took know? it you know? all the way. He took it almost all the way. I, I was I remember, so stupid, you know. Ja- oh, Jackie, so, so there, there's not too many things. I'm not shocked by just about anything, I have to say, I've, having grown up with, the, you know, all kinds of comedy as well. But um, I want to know, was there any, ever a bit on the show while you were there that you felt you guys went too far or somebody went too far? It wasn't necessarily you. Because, like, the Debbie Tay thing, for example, when Chauncey brought in her ashes, I, I couldn't take that. I was, that was, a, that was just... I couldn't, <clears throat> you, know, you know, I couldn't go it's with it. Like, it's like everything, uh, you know, like number one, were those really her bones? Who knows? Uh, sure. If they were, who cares? I'm sure she didn't mind, you know, uh, 
on the whole Channel 9 show, there were only two bits we did that didn't make it to air. Mm -hmm. uh, we dressed Fred up as Jesus and crucified him and put him on a cross. And he was Jesus, I'm telling yeah. you. And they said, you know what? We better draw a line right here. So that didn't <laughs> air. And we also did handicap beat the clock. Yeah. And we had a, a guy with one leg competing against a guy in a wheelchair. And it was unfucking real. And Al Rosenberg was one of the writers on the show. And he said, Jackie, you said maybe the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. Because the guy that was competing who had one leg was such a piece of shit and so rude <laughs> and such an annoying fuck. It was unbelievable. And everybody hated him. And, uh, and Al came up to me one at one point and said, Oh, that guy's an asshole. And I said, you know what? He didn't lose his leg. It ran away. Yeah. <laughs> but that was so great. I would ask you a couple of things about number one, your book, uh, I went to get it and it's not on Kindle. It's only available through audiobook. Uh, I went on the Amazon site and it's not available. Is there any um, chance to, I can get the ebook? Of course, it, of course it's on Kindle. It's not. It's not listed as being for purchase on Kindle. Many other versions, but not Kindle. Well, is the digital version available anywhere? I haven't checked. That's pretty much where I go when <laughs> no, I No, it's, it's got, I'll, I'll check, but I'm sure it's on Kindle. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of people really love the audio version because they said, wow, it's like having you back on the radio. I'll tell you, though, uh, what, one of the reasons I, when I found you guys, are, you know, all this whole Stern thing, I, 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 I don't like running around and, and talking in there. This sucks and that sucks and everything. Sure. But I like I like word getting out that I had a book out because he never mentioned my book to anybody. So I'm a real lot of his listeners have no idea I put a book out there. I mean, eventually the word gets, it's been out for years. So eventually mm -hmm. the word gets back. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so I figured I'd come on your show and I, you know, I say, Hey, I have a joke. I mean, I have a book out, you know, my autobiography and people are really enjoying it. And even if you hate me from the show, you would love the book because it's just, it's just a trip through time. And it's really funny because of, I don't know how, how long ago, but maybe two years ago at this point, I got a big bump in sales mm -hmm. and my guy said, what'd you do? Cause I, you know, I promote it when I do podcasts and I promote yep. it when I, you know, here, there and everywhere and, and on Twitter and everything. But all of a sudden I got a bump. And then I, what had happened was Howard put out another book. Yeah. And if you put mm -hmm. out a book and somebody buys it on Amazon, yeah. Underneath it says people who bought this book also sometimes bought these books. And here's my book. And somebody's buying Howard's new book. They had no idea I had a book. They've already sure. got their mouse out. They got their credit card in with one click to get my book too for 15 bucks. So all of a sudden I sold a shitload of books. So he helped yeah. I'm sure he'd kill himself if he knew he helped me. <laughs> and just and just so the fans know, to those who are the, who are listening to this right now, the the just it's really important. The audiobook for Jackie's book is unexpurgated, unlike Quivers of Life and um uh, even the Colford book. They're four, they're like two cassettes. Uh you know, I don't know what this would be in, in C D in MP three form, but there's like eight hours of Jackie's book. So the audio book no, is it, the it was every, every single every single uh every single paragraph and every syllable you know and you know it's so funny because i thought oh boy what a drudgery this is going to be and i'm telling you sitting there for three days it was it was fun because here yeah. i'm getting to absorb my book and really enjoy it 
And you can't ad lib. You can't go on a tangent and tell another story. You got to read yep. what's in front of you. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. And they were all really big fans, the guys at mm -hmm. Audible. So we had a, just a terrific time, you know. So Sam? hopefully, you know, a lot of people I, seem to enjoy it, you know. I really love your book. And I think the most surprising thing is your <clears throat> backstory. You're just an interesting person. Just how you landed where you land to me is fascinating. I, I just love it. You love, you love someone so much as a, I don't know, a presence on the show. You know, I think you're amazing. Mm -hmm. well, I have a whole second book and I will send you it should. to you guys and you'll, and you'll get a kick out of it. You know, what, and I can't was, believe the stuff that I left out. Jesus, so much I was, great shit. You know, I was going to say, was it a limitate? Was it a, a matter of uh, like you didn't want to be litigated against? Was it uh, no, just no, too big? No. I just wrote the book and then I wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. And then it turned out I was allowed to have this many words. Yeah. So it was like Sophie's choice. I'll use this okay. shit. Do I put in the stupid chapter about me with the Roosevelt's? Well, fuck the world. I want that in there. I don't care. Mm -hmm. Do it I was put great. in this? Yeah, you know, I, I like, I put in what I wanted. But of course, once you do that, it's like the songs you leave off. If you're a songwriter, there's all of a sudden the songs you left off the album are your favorites, you know? Yeah. I'll look through all through those extra chapters and go, how the fuck did you not put this one in there, you know? And there's great ones. And there's Rodney stories and Jackie Mason stories and Soupy Sales stories. You know, you, I promise you, you'll get a major kick out of it. Major We'd love that. Uh, Sam? I um, just so you know, the, I'm glad you got a bump from Stern's book coming out, but, uh, Benji had a problem with Stern's book and he brought it up on the show. He was supposed to get a writing credit for yep. his book because he wrote most of the questions for the interviews Sure. and was promised because Buckwald's his agent that he was going to get a writing credit, didn't get the writing credit, brought it up on air unbeknownst to Howard and he got screamed off the air and hasn't been in studio since yeah just so you yeah. know that 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 tells the tale <laughs> of of that show shoot the messenger you know like he, he, he that doesn't make him in the least bit wrong mm -hmm. you know that's like me saying no i'm a writer i'm not a segment producer i'm a writer i'm not asking you know tell them i built the sets even though i didn't you know right just tell them what i actually did you know mm -hmm. He said, just so you know, I wrote most of those questions. And he said, get the fuck, get the fuck out of here. Get out of here. Well, that's, that's kind of why I wanted to lead into this. We talked about this before we started recording. You've got, um, the, the film, the documentary joke man, uh, which is yet to come out. But when I saw the trailer originally, I thought, man, this looks great. It looks it lo not like I was surprised, but it looked great. And there's one section of the trailer, which is no longer online as far as I know, where a note is literally being passed over physically over some screen from you, I presume to Howard. And you've never seen that. We've never seen that ever. As far as it, I know it, uh, this guy, Rob Perna happened. I think, I think how that happened. I think he was walking around and videotaping me. And I think I brought him into the studio. I don't know if Howard's visible in that shot, but he, he might be, you know, I mean, what was really crazy is when they decided they were going to do the movie and that uh, they were going to redo it with Ivan Reitman. Mm -hmm. uh, Ivan wanted to sit in on the show and see what it was all about. And so what's Howard going to say? It's Ivan Reitman. Yep. 
And Ivan came in and said, yeah, this is my producer, Danny Goldberg. And two of them sat there and fucking Danny, this was right after Sony came out with those little tiny video cameras with the little tiny uh, high eight cassette or yeah. whatever it was called. Yep. And Danny sat there and started videotaping and he's you no know, videotaping me writing a note and me putting it up. And I could tell that Howard was just shitting. He just wanted to say, you can't do that, but he didn't dare. Mm -hmm. I, I would love to know where that, that footage exists somewhere. You know, I mean, Danny sat there, they were, they were doing research for the film, you know, yep. little did they know that that was never going to make it near the air, never make it through the, you know, well, so so what's the what's the um, projected like release? Would you say what for the? Um, it's done. We really wanted to take it to film festivals because the Q and A at the film festivals will be at least as interesting as the documentary. Yeah, because you know, not for everybody, but the it it drives me crazy how people are still so interested in the Stern show and the old Stern show and still, in, I mean, I've been off there for 20 years mm -hmm. and people talk to me like I left yesterday. Yeah. Um, I was just telling some, a kid earlier today on a podcast that I got a, uh, an email like 10 years ago or 12 years ago or something. And it was the greatest compliment that I couldn't have made up. He said, uh, Jackie, how you doing? <clears throat> I'm from Toronto. And I'm 27 years old, and I started listening to the Howard Stern show in 2007. And it instant, I'm like, wow, you know, that's I'm long gone, right? And yep. he goes, uh, and it instantly became my favorite show. <clears throat> I couldn't believe how much I loved it. And then I found out that a lot of the old shows were on YouTube. Yep. And I started looking at the old shows, and he said it was. It's to me, it's like having a new favorite band. And then finding out that their earlier albums were much better. Yep. And how great a compliment is that? I was like, holy it's... shit, man. Let me send you a shirt or something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you, know? you you should realize that not only from that, but every day of your life, I just hope you know that there are so many people that just adore you for that time period. Just think that is the best most funniest gut busting pull yourself over in the car laughing experience and it's because of you and i also want to say well, you're, you're you're you know you did you did nice it is nice that uh the funny thing is it's like anything as time goes along those years become more special and more golden and mm -hmm. the more he drags it out and i don't know what good bad or other you know it if you it's talk ugly. to 10 people about his show now, you know, one person hates it, one person loves it. You know, I get emails no, from people yeah, saying, they tell me, dry up, you know, the show's better than it ever was when you were there. And, you know, the best move they ever made okay. was getting rid of you. And, you know, yeah, I get a lot of those emails too. So, you know, it keeps you humble. But, but, but it does, <laughs> it does, uh, it makes them seem more and more special and more special. So I know if I took uh, this, this uh, documentary to a film festival in Pittsburgh, uh, it'll sell out and I'll get lots of interesting questions from the baby boomers that are 70 years old, but I'm going to get just as many questions from 25 year olds that are still, yeah. that are still interested, you know? 
it's it's, um, it's, gonna... it's flattering. It's flattering, you know. So just on on that note, uh, have you seen the Gilbert documentary? And if you did, what did you think about it? Uh, well, I loved it. You know, I did Gilbert's uh, podcast like four times. Yep. And one time I did it, Neil came in <clears throat> and he shot the entire, I was there most, it's usually like 50 minutes. Me and Gilbert sat there for 90 or an hour and a half. And mm -hmm. we roared and laughed and went fucking nuts for an hour and a half. And Neil shot the whole thing. And then I found out, oh, yeah, this is for, for Gilbert's documentary. And, you know, there's not one frame of me in the documentary. <laughs> but, but it's fucking great. You know, we, we had a screening at the Friars Club. Yeah. And it's really good. You know, I mean, I've known that guy, you know, forever. You know, forever. He'd come on the Stern Show and I'd tell him two jokes, five jokes, eight jokes. And blow his brains out every time, and then we wound up with the with the same act. He does a lot of the same. And you say, "Oh, you do Jack, you do Gilbert's jokes." I said, "No, he's doing the jokes I told him over the years at the Stern Show." You know, <laughs> they're not my jokes; they're just jokes. Right? You know? They're just yeah, they're just out there in the other. Sam, you guys are both politically incorrect, and I love it. I absolutely love it. And I also want to say, even if there is no big premiere because of COVID and all these restrictions, I still think. The interest level in what you do is high. And I think that promoted virtually, you would still have a lot of traction, honestly. Yeah, no, I no, really I, do. Think, I think we'd get traction. I think we'd get a lot of questions and a lot of Q&A. But it, nothing is as much fun as standing in front of the crowd and taking live questions and being spontaneous. Mm -hmm. That's all. You know, that, and that's just being selfish. It, you know. You, we all know that it could be another year or two before we get out of this COVID thing. This yeah, could no be much, much worse. I hope not, you know, and maybe all of a sudden the vaccines will do wonder thing, wonder, you know, but there's no way to know. But uh, we got to get the, I told Ian, we got to get this thing out there. I don't want to be like, hey, here's the documentary we made about Jackie. It's a shame he's dead. He probably would have enjoyed it, you know. <laughs> <clears throat> Not good. That's, that's not gonna. That's not gonna happen. It's so. This fun. will be my it, last question. What was your favorite live event you ever did? <clears throat> my favorite live event, uh, as far as Stern Show or me? Or... Yeah, Stern Show <clears throat> and you both. You know, there's there's no answer to that. There really isn't. Everything was so much fun. Um, I, I really loved headlining at the, at the Riviera, but that was like, you know, that happened like five times. Uh, I really, the, the night of, uh, the private parts, um, premiere was huge. We didn't get to enjoy it. You know, we, we did the private parts premiere mm -hmm. and after the minute, the, the, the minute the film was done, we had to go, we, Howard wanted to broadcast and tape the show for the next day. Cause he couldn't wait two hours like a kid on Christmas. So we wow. get done with the screening and the whole world's partying their fucking asses off and we're up there working, uh, you know, you know, I was so good with this stuff. Like I, six months after I was a comedian, I had my own album. I was ahead of the curve. I was the first, I was selling merch at the door as a comic before they had the term merch. You know, I, was selling, I, I was selling actual <laughs> LPs that I, you know, that I produced myself. And saw him at the door and the guys would make fun of me. And then one day somebody said, wait a minute, he's walking out of here with an extra 50 bucks. He's not an idiot. You know what I mean? And uh, I, I was ahead of the curve and I was the first, I was the first guy to have the internet. It, oh God, you know, part I of my remember deal was, you had your way, you had your website and they would make fun of you. Absolutely. Part of my, part of my deal was Howard had to read my plugs 
<clears throat> when they came to our house and they said, you want to be on the World Wide Web? And me and Nancy said, yeah, what the fuck is that? And so they put us on the World Wide Web and nobody knew what the fuck it was. And then it came time to read my plug and Howard would go, and if you want to see Jackie on, on the World Wide Web, go to HTTP <laughs> colon slash slash www.starbright.com slash jo and he, you could just feel how pissed off he was getting and it was so great but that that's and that was the very beginning and they're like oh what an asshole look at the he's jackie's involved in another one of those uh flyaway things and of course two minutes later you know well, yes. mark mark cuban owes me mark cuban's in my documentary <laughs> you know i did mark cuban a fucking favor way back when you know well i got i got a crazy history you know willie nelson's in my documentary and Pen Gillette, and you know, it's 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 an interesting cast of characters to say the least. You know, I have one last favor to ask of you, and that's uh, just to unblock me on Twitter. And uh, <laughs> and uh, you wouldn't know because uh, I go under a different name under there, but um, but uh, uh, why would I have blocked you? Must have said I, I probably I, somebody... I probably said something remotely, minutely negative about Stern, and you didn't, yeah, I'm sure you just don't want to entertain negativity at that time. No, no, if, if it was how long ago? Oh, years and years and years. Oh, yeah, because because uh, people people thought that I, I was bad. a clearinghouse to, to convince about him, and I'm like, you know, this is like this is not the Stern clearinghouse. No, I'm glad to un, 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 unhitch you. What, what, what's your name on there? Uh, it's, I, I'll have to get back to you on that one. I don't even remember because I, I barely log in. It's already logged in. You forget your, it's like forgetting you, you don't dial your own number. So what's my telephone number? No, I know. Um, All right. Yeah. Well, nothing but, personal, nothing no, personal. No, I'll message you. But the other thing was, I want to thank you I, so I much. Must have just, I must've just sensed that you were an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're partly right. Um, I will say thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Next time we get together, I'll I'll throw some Jackie Leonard stories at you, and you can throw me some. Uh, <laughs> you can throw me some I, I, I'd love to not, I'd love to talk Friars Club with you. I don't know me any too. Jackie Leonard stories, so I'd be all about hearing those. Uh, you know, I'm reading the Hal Roach story right now, and uh, you know, I love all that old shit so much. So you you obviously know who Cliff Nesteroff is, right? I know the name, but I have to do my own homework on that a little bit. If if you haven't read Cliff Nestroff's book, you you're gonna you're gonna email me a blowjob. I promise <laughs> you. It's Cliff K L I P H. Yep. Nestroff, and he does uh, uh, comedy, uh, a collection of uh, drunks, losers, thieves, and crooks, and it it goes from vaudeville right up till present day and it segues from person to person to person and it's dirt and it's good and it's true and it's crime and this guy's like a 35 year old guy from you know, from canada that knows everything i think i might he have seen it fucking everything i know this guy well he's dead now but i knew this guy from california <coughs> that nobody knew and he was an inside friend of mine and he was friends with lenny bruce and he managed hunts hall and he managed an all-girls orchestra, and he managed midgets, and he was on Ed Sullivan with a with a partner, and he had a comedy club in New Orleans with Shecky Green until they found a body in the green room, and nobody knew. And when I met Cliff Nestorov, I said, "Listen, I got to tell you about Frankie Ray." And I go on his website; he's got three not one, he's got three interviews with Frankie Ray on there. I mean, this guy goes so deep, and he's so interesting. 
Trust so me, you'll, you'll get lost. In, we'll never see you again. You'll get lost in his website. You know. Fair, fair enough. And can I tell you, every time I hear a sad news story, if I unplug <laughs> in my head your laugh, I immediately just like <clears throat> mentally plug in your laugh. It just makes my day. I'm like, you know what's so great about that? What's so great about that is uh, when I started doing comedy, uh, you know, I, there was an impressionist I worked with, and all the time he'd go, come on, come on. Finally, one day I said, Woods, why do you keep saying come on? And he said, he says, that's you. You say that all the time. And I said, you're out of your mind. And then it's like somebody who says, you know, all the time, you know, you know? Yeah. And I listen. I said, holy Christ, I guess I say that. So then uh, we're sitting on the air at some point and, and Fred went <laughs> a couple times. I finally said, Fred, what is that fucking noise you're making? And he said that. <laughs> He said, that's you. I said, you're out of your mind. And then I recorded myself at Jimmy's Comedy Alley. Like I always do on the way home. I'm listening to my tape. And it's not during a joke. It's like I told a joke. And I was like crossing the stage to take a pause before the next joke. And as I'm in between jokes, I said, why chicken cross the road? To get the other side. <laughs> and, and, and it was right there in the middle of nowhere. And I, and I isolated and brought it in i said fred you're not crazy look here it is and i gave him the tape of jimmy's comedy alley and he proceeded to go in there and take every fucking noise that i ever made and Good. he started playing <laughs> those noises and it's so funny because people would yell at me for <laughs> laughing at the nun getting hit by a bus or else they congratulate me on how funny i was that i laughed about the nun getting hit by the bus i'd say I don't get any of the credit and I don't get any of the blame. It is all Fred. <laughs> I can't You're, I can't even chime in on this. I get no I'm I'm besides you, the point, you know. Yeah. I'm the paint. The I didn't paint the house, you know. You're going to you're going to laugh at this Jackie, but b believe it or not, last year at there was at one point some because we still cover the show. We were doing a breakdown of it every now and then. Uh, there was some story that was reported and Fred did for some reason throw in one of your laughs. And they all started chuckling. And then Howard, I could tell, was pissed because he kept pressing it. And he said, oh, that's enough. That's enough of that. <laughs> and, and it's not to make, make you feel bad. It's to make you feel, look, after all these years, if something's making you laugh, it's funny. And it, it doesn't great. stop being funny. Uh, people tell me, <clears throat> some people say that, he, that, that they still play my laugh a lot. And I'm like, you know. You know, send me a check. Take and it say as thank you. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you heard about this, but like in 2013, George Clooney went to the bank with 14 paper bags and told his yeah. bank to put a million dollars cash in 14 different paper bags. And he went around and gave a million dollars to his to everybody that was nice to him on his way up and on along the way. Yep. And I'm you like, well, you know, I, 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 you know. Yeah, I hope Howard was listening. You know, I called up Richard Richard Kind. I, I texted Richard Kind and said, Richard, I hope you were on that list. And he said, yeah, thank God. He said, I, I was going to miss a few meals. But luckily, you know, George showed up with a million dollars. I'm like, you know, that's the kind of friends that I, you know who Richard Kind is. Right? Of course. Sure you know who of course. <clears throat> such a delightful, such a talented, delightful man, you know. Brilliant. And I'm just saying that so we'll share the million, but I'm sure he spent it already, you know. Yeah. Well, listen, I want to thank you so much for being a part of this. We love you. And uh, we're sorry if we took up too much of your time. And, what the uh, fuck am I going to do? I'll probably call you back. <laughs> you can I gotta call cook. me anytime. 
I got to make lunch for the wife. She's got to eat on, on a schedule, but uh, I want to thank you so much for being a part of this. We love you. All right. Uh, Samantha, send me uh, Millard Fillmore's email address so I can write to you guys together. No, I just literally don't remember. I, I don't remember if it's at Jim Fix or at Fillmore Not Fingers. Not your I think... Twitter. You're, I'm talking about your email. Your oh, okay, email okay. Fillmore. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll I want to send, send you guys those chapters, and I want to send you uh, um, the new pot song. You, you know about that, right? Uh, and I'm thinking about you and all that stuff. I'll send you some fun stuff. Sure, You'll sounds great. Kick, You'll get Sam a kick will, out of it. Sam will hook you up with that. I, I really do got to <laughs> let, let this go, but thank you so much once again. All right, you kids. Thank you. Thanks for thinking of me. I appreciate it. I Take care you, of yourself. Jackie. Stay safe. Bye. Bye, honey. Bye. Gay boy, rock star, friends with Allison, Oxycodone, North Context, <laughs> My Child, Fruit Pill, Social Worker, CNN. <laughs> North Context. <laughs> <laughs> Press Yo, release, Beverly Hills, Love Snack, like Diadrin. I like you a lot. Black uh, Diet Wendy's. <laughs> going, going, come on, you're great. great. Linda Perry, Road Songs, Patty and Samantha, Women Give, Jessica Cincy, I'm Happy. <laughs> ABC, okay. ABC. Divine Face Players.